0: I'm a football fan. Well, more than that, I'm an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. I have my wife, Angela. who have been married now for 10 years, and I have two daughters, Gracelyn and Ainsley. Gracelyn is five and just started kindergarten, and Ainsley is three. I started playing drums when I was in seventh grade. My senior superlative was that I had the most school spirit. I'm a husband and father. I'm a flooring salesman. I'm a sports fan, an Ohio State fan. I'm a drummer, but that's not what defines me. It's so great uh, having you with us today. My name is Paul Mumaw. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church, and I want you to do me a favor, uh, if you would, uh, as we get started, uh, use your imagination uh, a little bit and uh, do this. Uh, Imagine with me uh, that you've been invited to a party. And uh, it's a party with, let's just say, 100 uh, people or so, and you don't know any of them. But uh, when you get there, when you get to this party, uh, someone greets you and points you to a table, a, an eight-foot table right at the entrance of the party. And on that table, uh, you'll find a bunch of Sharpie pins and uh, some of those name tags. All right, you've seen those name tags before, maybe a name tag uh, that looks a little bit like this. It just simply says, hello. I am, and you fill in the blank. Now, our quick automatic response would be to put our name on there. Maybe you do your first and your last name. But instead, the greeter gives you some different instructions, and they say, hey, here's what we want you to do. We don't want you to to put your name. That's too easy, all right? But instead, we'd like you to write down a word or two, something that identifies you as a person, something that you write down that helps us or helps someone else get to know you a little bit better. And so let me ask you this, what would you write? I mean, if you just had to write a word or or two, again, something to better define you, something to help people get to know you, uh, what word or two would you choose? I think most of us uh, would probably write what we do, all right? We we turn to our occupation, and uh, that's the most common way that people identify themselves. And so uh, if you're at this party, you go up to someone. If it were me, I'd go up to someone and say, hello, my name is Paul. All right, I just kind of get that out of there. You got to do that. but uh, And I am, well, fill in the blank, you know, and and so for you, you write down your occupation or you write down that thing that you spend a majority of your time doing. And so if you're a teacher, you write teacher. If you work for a bank, maybe you write banker. Maybe you're a, an attorney. Maybe uh, maybe uh, you're a realtor or a doctor or you're in some sort of sales. Maybe you're a student. And so you just simply write the word student. If it were me, again, I'd write the word pastor. It's what I do, but I thought it was interesting. This past uh, weekend, last Sunday, I was out in the lobby after our second service, and about a, a second grade boy walked up to me. I'd never met him before, and he just walked up to me, and he just simply said, "Hey, are you the boss here?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, it depends who you ask." Uh, but uh, anyways, we, we identify ourselves with uh, by what, what we do. Now, some people might choose to write a word or two uh, that describes a particular passion or, or an interest. And so, we identify ourselves by the things that we like. And so, if you're a runner, you write runner. Or, uh, maybe you like fishing or hunting or maybe you're into dance or you do, you, you like golf. Maybe you like to travel or, or cook or you would say that you're a vegan. And so, you, you'd write a word down like that. Maybe you Greatest passion is a sports team. And and if that's true of you, uh, you might write Hoosiers. And we probably have some Hoosiers football fans here today after a big win yesterday. Or maybe you write Boilermaker or Irish or or the Colts. And so sometimes we identify ourselves by the things that we're passionate uh, about, but others uh, might take the assignment a little more seriously. I mean, I've met people that if they were asked to engage in an exercise like this and wanted to be completely honest, Uh, they'd identify themselves with a struggle or maybe some sort of challenge uh, that they're dealing with, either from the past or something in the present. And so they might write something like alcoholic or addict, um, cancer survivor, uh, maybe divorced or bankrupt or unemployed. And so uh, we do that. We identify ourselves with those things that have happened to us or again by our past or present struggles. And I think a lot of us, Uh, If we're honest, we'd be tempted to write something uh, that others have said about us. I mean, sometimes uh, things said in the past, especially by those people who maybe have some level uh, of influence over us, those words from the past, they have the power to shape our identity. And so if someone else at some point in the past labeled you as a failure or a quitter or worthless, you know, at some time in your life, maybe that's how you see yourself today. Well, this morning we're starting a brand new series called Identity Crisis, and your identity is how you see yourself. Uh, It's how you view yourself. It has a lot to do with how you live and how you view your life, and the Bible reminds us that as Christians... Our identity is found in nothing other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you've trusted Christ, that means if you've trusted Christ with your life, you're forgiven. If you've trusted Christ, the Bible says that you're a new creation and that you belong to Him. But unfortunately, what I think happens for us, and it so often happens to us, is that we are so prone to find our identity first uh, in these other things. And when we identify ourselves, the thing is that when we identify ourselves, Uh, by anything other than Jesus, we're bound to fail. And we're bound to experience uh, an identity crisis. And so here's what we're gonna do. For the next eight weeks, uh, we're going to study through the New Testament book of Ephesians, and we're going to talk about it here together on Sundays, and we know that many of our connection groups uh, are going to be discussing uh, this series with us. Uh, Here's what I want to ask you to do, and this is something that everyone can participate in, whether you can uh, get in a group or even be here every Sunday or not. I want to ask you to read through Ephesians with us. Uh, and not just once, because it's only six chapters long. In fact, you could sit down this afternoon and read it in probably about 30 minutes. But here's what I ask you to do. I want to ask you for the next seven, eight weeks, I want to ask you to read it every week for the next weeks. So I, want, I want you to read through the book of Ephesians each week. For the next seven or eight weeks. And that might mean just me reading one chapter a day. It's six chapters long. So if you read one chapter a day, you can take one day a week off. Again, it'll take you five, maybe 10 minutes to read a chapter, but just read it for yourself and take it in. Because here's the thing we're not going to be able to talk about everything. Uh, but I really believe there, there's power in reading God's Word uh, for you. And then there might be some really special things that God wants to do in your life to reveal to you uh, as you read through as we study uh, together. Now, let me tell you this. Let me tell you why we're spending eight weeks uh, in Ephesians. You know, so much of what we talk about at times here on Sundays uh, has to do with behavior, Uh, We talk about, you know, uh, not doing these things or make sure you're doing these sorts of things or the Bible says avoid this and, and instead to do something like that. But the basis really when you think about it and really the heart of Ephesians is the basis of that activity really should come out of who we are and who we discover that we are in Christ. It's all about our identity first. And, that, and to put it specifically, it just means that if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because of how you behave. You're a Christian because of what Christ has done for you and what he has done in you. And because of that, when we know that and when we believe that and when we experience the power of that, well, then we live for him. And we continue living for him. It's kind of like this. As parents, I think we, we, we need to understand this because we can easily fall into the trap of correcting behavior and, and keeping kids out of trouble. But there's a danger in just focusing on behavior alone. And the danger is that if all of your parenting or if all of my parenting is about behavior modification, well, one day your kids are going to grow up and they're going to go off to college and they're not going to have you there telling them how they ought to behave. And so as parents, and especially as our kids are young, our job is to correct behavior, sure, and discipline when necessary. But it's also to help our children discover their identity in Jesus Christ. It's helping them see who they are in Christ first and the power that that can have for their lives. And so uh, one of the things that you're going to find As you read through the Ephesians, and again, as you read it over and over again, uh, is that uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, spends a lot of time, in fact, he spends the first half of the book focusing on the identity part. Uh, He talks a lot about the who we are part, and it's not until the second half of the book, the last three chapters, that Paul finally starts addressing the how we live and how we imitate Christ. And that's just, you need to know that's on purpose. I really believe that he was so intentional in this because Paul realizes that that he needs to build a foundation on the who we are part, our identity in Christ, so that he can more effectively uh, direct us uh, in the living part. It's about uh, attaining this proper balance in identity uh, and behavior. It kind of reminds me of what I believe to be one of the greatest movies uh, of all time, and that is The Karate Kid. Uh, And and when I say that, I don't mean like Will Smith's kid or uh, Hillary Swank. I think she even did a Karate Kid kind of deal. I'm talking about the original, Ralph, Ralph Macchio, all right, Daniel LaRusso, all right, Mr. Miyagi. You know what I'm talking about? All right, great 80s film and there's that scene where Daniel's out in the water with Mr. Miyagi and he's on the bow of the boat and he's standing and he's working on his moves and he just says to Mr. Miyagi he said, you know, when am I gonna learn how to punch? And Mr. Miyagi said, Learn how to punch and he starts rocking the boat when you learn how to keep balance and Daniel falls into the water. You you got it, you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about? That's what Paul's getting at. The Apostle Paul he's just having this proper balance between the identity part of who we are in Christ and the, the power that comes from that and, and the behavior part, uh, that we can't truly live out who we are in Christ until we understand who we are in him and the power that comes from that change in us. And so uh, your identity is how you see yourself. It, it's the foundation Of how you view and live your life. It it, it determines, you know, what you do and uh, how you go out of here and how you live this afternoon and how you live tomorrow. And so what we want to do starting today is really just work on building that foundation uh, of who we are in Jesus because we have to get the identity part uh, right. So if you've got a Bible uh, and you want to follow along with us, uh, or if you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And you'll find, too, that there's some Bibles around the room on the floor. You're welcome to take one of those. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's yours. Uh, Take it. It, It's yours to keep. Uh, As I mentioned already, the Apostle Paul, uh, he wrote this epistle or this letter. He wrote it from prison, uh, and he wrote it to uh, a number of people, but we know that he specifically had in mind uh, the people of this church in Ephesus. All right, he's writing to the Ephesians, the people who lived in Ephesus. And just to give you some perspective, uh, and, and keep this in mind, it's it's about thirty years right now when he writes this, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's fair to say uh, that this idea of Christianity was brand new uh, to the people in this church in Ephesus. And, and Paul had some great history with them. I mean, they had some good times together uh, with these people in Ephesus. He previously spent. Uh, two years with them, telling the people about Jesus uh, and baptizing people, much like we did last weekend. Uh, There was no church, uh, really, when Paul arrived, when he first arrived in Ephesus, but they had one uh, when he left. And, And after two years with them, Paul moved on to other places to start more churches, but because Ephesus wasn't an easy place, Uh, to live out their faith, the people, uh, Paul could just sense they they were forgetting. And and so it didn't take long uh, before their identity as a Christian was conflicting with their identity as an Ephesian. I mean, you could say that they quickly forgot. About their identity in Christ. Well, somewhere between seven to ten years has passed since Paul was in Ephesus with them. And so he's writing now to identify or to address this identity crisis. And, and again, to say that Paul was up against a challenge with these Ephesians uh, is an understatement because Ephesus was this impressive city. Uh, an impressive coastal city uh, located on the shores of the Aegean Sea, located in what we know today as western Turkey. Uh, And it was one of the largest cities in the world at this time, a city of 250,000 people. I mean, when you think about it, in the first century. And and there were such landmarks as the Temple of Diana, uh, which at the time was one of the seven ancient wonders uh, of the world. There was a a spectacular stadium there uh, that seated something like 25,000 people. It included luxury suites. And a retractable roof. Um, just making sure you're following along, that we're all still together. Just kidding. Uh, we know it was a very culture rich place, uh, and there was a lot of pride uh, in being able to say that you were from Ephesus. I mean, it'd be like saying that you're from Chicago, or uh, that you're from New York City, or uh, maybe the pride that, that comes from saying that you're from a certain college or from maybe a particular uh, high school or something, and some of you uh, can re- relate with that. I mean, you know the pride uh, with something like that, if you're from around here, to be able to say that, you know, you went to Carmel, or, you know, you're a Noblesville High School grad, or a Westfield High School uh, grad for something, uh, and so we have that pride in our colleges and our schools, but, but can everyone say that? Like, can everyone have that same pride? Like, I was looking at a list this past week of some of the most unusual high school mascots around the country, uh, and this is just a great list, and some of these are just ridiculous, um, but, but let's look at a few of these. I mean, could you say that you're proud to be from Polka High School, West Virginia, home of the Polka Dots, believe it or not? I mean, is, is that intimidating, all right? Would that be an intimidating game, you know, this Friday night to know that you're playing the Dots? Or uh, if you're from Illinois, how about the Hoopston, not to be uh, confused with Hoopston, but home of the Corn Jerkers, Right? Good old Midwestern name right there, strikes some fear in you. How about this one, uh, Laurel High School in Florida, home of the hobos, all right? Or there's the uh, Watersmeet High School, home of the Nimrods in Michigan. Any Nimrods in the room right now? Anybody there? Anybody make that claim? No one? Or how about this uh, school in Oklahoma, home of the horny toads? Or how about this next one, uh, Frankfurt High School right here in Indiana, home of the hot dogs. We have, are, you an Indi- are you a Frankfurt grad? We got one right there in the middle. Let's give that guy a hand. All right. How about one more? Uh, New Berlin, Illinois, home of the pretzels. Uh, My mom and dad graduated from New Berlin High School. I went to kindergarten in uh, New Berlin, home of the the pretzels. But think about it. I mean, if you're from any one of these high schools, I mean, there's a chance that maybe you just don't identify yourself with it anymore. You choose another town, you choose your college, whatever that may be, you've moved on. The point is not the case in Ephesus. I mean, if you're from Ephesus, I mean, I don't know if they had a high school mascot or not, but I do know that if you were Ephesus, you were proud to call yourself an Ephesian. And that's gonna present a challenge for Paul. All right, separating these two. I mean, he recognized that for these Christians, that their allegiance to their hometown was competing with their allegiance to Christ. And so Paul's gonna write to them and remind them that first and foremost, their primary allegiance is to Jesus And to no one else. And he's going to say that being from Ephesus is not nearly as important as being in Christ, that your identity is not as an Ephesian. But your identity is in Jesus. And so let's do this. Let's pick it up together in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1. And uh, see what Paul writes there. He, he starts off this letter by writing, Paul, he identifies himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now here's who he's writing to. Here are his recipients. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And if you write in your Bible or if you highlight with your Bible app or something, I want you to just mark these words right here, just underline them, the words, in Christ Jesus. And those words change everything. That's the bottom line uh, of Ephesians. I mean, this is the big idea. I mean, right away from the start, Paul reminds his friends that if you're a Christian, you are in Jesus Christ. And you are in him first. And he says, this is your identity. And what you're going to see, what we're going to see is he's going he's to use this phrase in Christ or in him or some variation of this phrase 11 times in these first 14 verses of this book. I mean, what Paul is saying to these Christians is that you are first and foremost. You are in Christ. This is your identity. And what he says to them, he's saying to you and me too. Uh, In fact, if you're writing notes and and you want to follow along with us, let's just fill that in right there. He just says, as a Christian, your identity is found in Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. There is nothing more important. Nothing marks or changes your life like Jesus Christ. And If if, if you're here today and if you call yourself a Christian, um, I I hope, I pray uh, that maybe this is your greatest takeaway from today that your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And it's to be reminded of of this important truth. And if you're not a Christian, um, I just want you to know that you've come at a great time. And especially if this is your first day and over the next eight weeks together, we're just really gonna kind of unpack this idea of what it means to call yourself a Christian, what it means to be in Christ. And so these next seven weeks are gonna give you a great glimpse of what it means to call yourself a Christian. And so I just wanna encourage you to come with us and to read with us and just see these things for yourself. Now let's look at these next verses together. And again, I want you to just see these phrases here. Let's start in verse two and I'm just gonna read for a bit. Um, through verse 14, Uh, he continues, Paul writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, there it is, in Christ. Verse 4, he says, for he chose us, there it is again, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. There it is, in the one he loves, in him, once again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us." With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, here it is, in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. There it is, under Christ. And once again, in verse 11, in Him, Paul writes, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope, there it is, in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. He writes in verse 13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believe you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Hey, I wanna just point out, those are challenging words, All right, all right, and if you find yourself confused at all trying to follow along with them, hey, they're still a little confusing to me. I mean, you really have to spend some time reading them through. It's some of the most difficult wording in Ephesians, I'll tell you that, but can you see? how Paul is reminding them and reminding us about what Christ has done for us and who that makes them. Again, no instruction yet. All right, he's not telling them how to live. He's just working on building that foundation. He's reminding them of who they are. Now, let's just stop there for a second and just talk about why these words matter for today because, again, uh, it it wasn't easy uh, living in Ephesus. And so why do these words matter for us? Well, in addition uh, to Ephesus being a spectacular and wealthy city, you need to know that Ephesus was a corrupt one too. Uh, very corrupt, extremely corrupt, and, and steeped in sexual sin. I mean, things like prostitution uh, was rampant. In fact, because it was a port city, it was no secret that the sailors enjoyed coming to Ephesus in order to engage in the sexual activity uh, that was very rampant at the temple. In fact, I was reading uh, where archaeologists have uncovered uh, what they believe to be an ancient brothel Uh, that was actually connected uh, to the library by a secret underground tunnel, uh, thereby enabling men to commit adultery when their wives thought they just really liked books a lot. Um, But uh, why is that important uh, for us to understand or to understand some of that context? I mean, why does knowing a little bit about Ephesus and the struggles of Ephesus really matter? Well, I think it's because sometimes we tend to wonder if the Bible really can speak into the troubles of our time or if it's really relevant to the troubles of my life. The point is this. Ephesus was no different than the USA. No different. And what these Christians in this particular church faced uh, and other churches like theirs and the identity crisis before them, it's no different than what you or I deal with today. And here's the hope. Here's really the hope because the example of these Christians and and this church and really the the power of the gospel is that Christianity can flourish in difficult contexts. And, uh, you know, the power of the gospel in a place like Ephesus and for these people really is going to change some things. And it's just a reminder to us that even as you live your life and even as you live at your workplace and even as you live on your campus right now or at your school, that as a Christian, you can discover and embrace your identity in Jesus Christ. And discovering that identity and embracing that identity can make all of the difference for your life and how you live and also for the people Uh, Around you, and so Paul says it over and over again. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. It's Christ Jesus who's done the work. You are in Christ. Your identity in Jesus Christ comes first and before anything else. And what he says to them, I I just think he he is saying it. The Lord has it for you and me too. That before anything else, people, friends of Genesis, you are in Jesus Christ. Your identity is in Jesus Christ before anything and everything, and that's significant, and it's power for so many things uh, in our life today. Let me just hit on a few of those for us. Uh, again, in your notes, if you're following along, you're just, I think, what gets to the heart of what it means to have your identity in Christ. And for these people here in Ephesus, uh, but for you and me today, the first thing is this, that because you're in Christ, you're different. Uh, you need to know that you are different. Look at it like this. Have have you ever visited a a foreign country uh, and quickly realize how you stand out? Like for me, I think just to the few visits that I've made to Haiti and uh, if you go to Haiti and if your skin color is like my skin color, uh, you quickly realize that, that you stand out in a place like that. Or, or maybe you visit a foreign country and it's because of the language uh, barrier that, that you feel different. Or maybe you know that you're different by the way you dress or the things that you eat or wouldn't dare uh, eat. Well, Paul says to the Ephesians, again, he says it over and over, you're in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And because of that, you're different. And later on, uh, in Ephesians 2, he's going to talk about how we lived one life, but because of Christ, we are now in this new life, and we are now fellow citizens uh, with God's people, a part of God's household. It was his way of reminding the Ephesians that they were more than citizens of Ephesus, but they were first and foremost citizens of heaven. And And I just think what Paul was saying to the Ephesians, he might say something like that to us today, and to say to those of you that are U.S. citizens, he might say, yes, you're an American, but before anything else, more than that, you are a Christian, you are in Christ first, because here's the challenge. If you are simply a citizen of the world, well, things like power and comfort and accumulation and happiness tend to be the goal, but citizens of heaven live by a completely different economy. And it's why Jesus said things like, you are to be in this world and, and not of this world, and how we are called to be a light uh, in this world. And if we see ourselves this way, and if we discover uh, that we are, our, our identity is in Jesus, well, then we're going to live differently than the people Of this earth. There was a a really interesting article uh, in the New York Times uh, a while back uh, by an editorialist there, a guy by the name of Nicholas Kristof, who, as I understand, is not a Christian, and he wrote a column praising the work of many Christians. Uh, And here's what he says in that article He writes, Evangelicals are disproportionately likely. Uh, to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, mostly church-related. More importantly, they are disproportionately likely uh, to go to the front lines at home or abroad, especially in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, obstetric fistula, human trafficking or genocide, and some of the bravest people you will meet are evangelical Christians who truly live out their faith. He says, he writes this, he says, I'm not particularly religious myself, But I stand in awe of those who are seen risking their lives in this way. And it just sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm I'm not particularly religious, but they're different. They're citizens of heaven. He points out they're different. I mean, just think about it. I Just think about some of the stories that you see on the news. I mean, think about these doctors in the news who voluntarily put their lives at risk and went into Liberia to help those who are battling uh, with Ebola right now. And many of them are Christians. They're different. You know, Or some of the stories that you hear of the Christians who are falling victims to some of the atrocities right now at the hands of ISIS uh, over in the Middle East, and you hear those stories of bravery of those Christians who refuse to stand down because of their faith, and you know uh, they're different. I was listening to an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago, an interview with Bobby Bowden on ESPN radio. Bobby Bowden is one of the, is the winning winningness, winningness uh, is that the right word? Uh, football coach of all time wins, uh, coached the uh, Florida State Seminoles for something like 50 years, and uh, he 's retired now, and he's got a new book out called "The Wisdom of Faith." And the basic message of the book is that you can have all of the money, you can have all of the success uh, of football or whatever else, but none of it matters unless your life is rooted in, in Jesus Christ. And it was just interesting listening to this interview on ESPN Radio because the radio host wanted to talk about football, all right? And all Bobby Bowden wanted to do was talk about Jesus. And you could just sense the tension and how awkward it was for the radio host to try to keep taking it back to football. And it was almost as if Bobby Bowden says, I've spent years talking about football. Today, we're talking about Jesus uh, because he's in Christ uh, and he's different. And, you know, when I think about you and I hear about the ways that you're standing uh, very bravely or courageously at school right now uh, or at your workplace or uh, with just different things going on in your life. I, I love when I look out and when I hear the stories of what's happening at Genesis and Uh, When I look at some of the things that we've done in this past year and helping our schools and helping people in this community, I love seeing the food that we've collected and uh, the food given away and the generosity of this church. You know, in the the past fiscal year, we you as a church, we gave away $182,000 to to efforts in places like Haiti and to church planting and to local outreach and to basic needs right here in our community. And you see stuff like that and, and you watch it happen and you can't help but think, yeah, we're different. We're really trying to be different because we're in Christ, because we're citizens of heaven. We know that we're different. And and last week, 38 people stood up at Genesis here and and in Carmel and declared, I'm alive in Christ and I'm different, and we celebrated that. And some of you got pelted in the face with a beach ball, right, and it burned and it it stung for a little bit, but you still celebrated anyways because we celebrated that we're different in Jesus, and these things matter to us because we're citizens of heaven. And the message of that day last week and the message of today and moving forward is that we are in Christ. And that means we're different. And there's something else that I think Paul is saying here, uh, that because you're in Christ, uh, you trust God's word. Uh, you have to trust his word. Ephesians uh, 1, look at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, with all wisdom and understanding. This is our God who has all wisdom and understanding. He knows all things. All right, He's not figuring this out uh, as we go. It says, he, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now, you might read that. You might look at that briefly and think to yourself, what? Okay. What is God's will? I would love to know what God's will for my life or for my marriage or for my kids right now. And how in the world has he made it known to us? Where is the secret? It's right here. It's in his word. Um, He's given us his will. And that's just why it's so important for you to be reading and for me to be reading his word every day. I mean, in these first 14 verses, Paul reminds them, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And, you know, look for many, hey, The only insight we get to the word of God in our lives is when we come in here uh, on Sundays, but that's not going to cut it, all right? What you get here, I mean, you can't get enough here on Sundays to help you live and deal with what's going on outside of here, and so that's why we keep stressing the importance of making an appointment with God every day and just working to keep that employment and and you read, and you pray, and when you do these things, and when you stick with it, I mean, this is when you really start to understand the heart of God, and you really begin to, to see and understand his will for his life. I mean, only by spending time in his word can we really understand our identity in him, and how that makes all the difference. Because Again, here's the thing, we can't just make this up as we go, all right? I mean, we, we, we can't expect to find right direction in public opinion polls or in the next law that is passed. Our direction as followers of Jesus must come from the Bible, and it must come from his word. And he's given us his word, and you can trust his word because he is good and it is good. And again, that's just why we're asking uh, for you to read Ephesians with us uh, over the next eight weeks together and, and just give it a shot. And see what happens in your life and read it for yourself and pray through it and trust God's word and see the difference uh, that it can make uh, in your life. We're different. Uh, As followers of Jesus, Paul says you can trust God's word. Another thing is because you're in Christ, you hope in heaven. Like our, our hope is in heaven. And that means that our hope is not in this president or the next one. Our hope is not in this government or the next government. Um, Our hope is not in Washington, D.C., or Texas, or a radio talk show by any means. As Christians, our hope is in Jesus Christ, and that means that before anything else, our hope is in heaven. And uh, we're, we're tempted. Man, we are lured all the time to put our hope in so many other things than Jesus. We're tempted to put our hope in in achievements uh, or in this relationship or the next one or a career or a certain balance in the bank or the hope that our kids will go pro uh, in a sport one day and support you, uh, support mom and dad. But but the the fact is that when we put our hope in anything other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be let down. But when we find our identity in Christ and we put all of our hope in heaven, we understand that the things of this world will let us down, but there is one thing that will never let us down, that the kingdom of heaven will never put us down or let us down as we put our hope uh, in Jesus. Look at verse nine again and over into 10. Paul writes, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And then notice what it says here, to be put into uh, effect. Effect. You, you can see a future tense here. Uh, He says, when the times reach their fulfillment, meaning a day still to come, and and he will bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I I just see here, you know, that there is a day that is coming again. God has a plan. He is not figuring this out as He go. And so that's the hope that we wait for. As we put our trust in his word and in his plan, it's what we long for. It's, it's understanding that even though for now we're stuck uh, in an imperfect, broken world that God has something so much greater in store for us, that he is planning this universal reconciliation where one day all of creation will be reinstated to its rightful owner and creator, that is Jesus Christ, and until then, he is making all things new. And you have a part to play in that. And I have a part to play in that as we live our lives boldly for Jesus Christ and that one day there will be no more pain and there will be no more crying or disappointment and we will be with Jesus and we will be satisfied. Every hunger, need uh, that we've ever had will be completely and absolutely satisfied. You know, there's a powerful uh, man, uh, maybe you've heard of a guy by the name of uh, Nick Vujicic. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but... You've maybe seen some of his stories on the internet. He's a motivational speaker who was born, uh, as you can see, without arms or legs, and uh, he gets something like 5,000 phone calls and 300 speaking requests every single week, and he loves meeting with people, especially those that are going through difficult circumstances and talking to them about the importance uh, of keeping a positive attitude, uh, showing how through his actions or uh, how you can stay positive, you know, even when life throws these curveballs at you and uh, in a recent interview, he was asked how he manages to stay so positive and encourage so many people. And he said it like this. He said, you know, without my faith in God, nothing makes sense. He says, if this life is it for me, then that's it. But that's not it for me. He says, my hope is in heaven And my hope is knowing that there is an eternal glory waiting for me, and it's while I'm here that I can actually use my circumstance to bring someone else to the knowledge of coming to the truth of heaven. And that's power, isn't it? That's the power of being in Christ and recognizing who you are in him and the part and the role that you have to play. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you go to Ephesus today, it's not there anymore. Um, I mean, this once great city so steeped in culture and bustling with activity and wealth uh, and all of these architectural gems, is just a bunch of ruins now. And it's a reminder that our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in Jesus. And, and the things of this earth are not going to last. But if you put your hope in heaven, you've got a reason to live. And you've got a reason to keep trusting. Because when you're in Christ, you're different. And as we trust God's Word and we understand who we are in Him and the hope that He has for us, the hope that we have in heaven, the final thing is that because you're in Christ, and it's a great reminder, Paul is getting at to the heart that you belong to Him. You belong to Him as His son or as His daughter. Uh, Listen to how rich this language is. Just looking at a couple of verses here again briefly. Verse 4, it says, he, He chose us. This didn't just happen but he chose you. Uh, Over in verse 5, again, just in in love, you can see he he adopted us. He adopted us as his sons, as his daughters, through Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it all possible. He he provides the bridge so that we can have a relationship with God. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. Again, he, he chose you if you're in Christ. He adopted you You've been redeemed through his blood. And if you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You're a new creation in Jesus. And then look at these last two verses, verse 13. And Paul kind of wraps up this portion here and, and for our time today. And he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you responded to it, all right, and asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. He says, when you believe now, You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul just shows us that if you're in Christ, you are marked in him with a seal. You've been tattooed, if you would. With this seal, this promised Holy Spirit. Now, in the ancient world, a seal was a form of identification used to authenticate and to protect legal documents. Paul is saying here again, as followers of Jesus, we are in Christ. And you're marked. Your life is marked forever and always by His Spirit, it's His presence. He's given you the gift of His presence and He's in you, and He's power for you, and He's a reminder for you, and He is all truth for you. And that just gives us, Paul just, he just gives us this continued assurance that if you're in Christ, you are God's child, and you belong to Him, and you can live for Him forever and always until Jesus comes again. Here's my hope for you. Here's what I'm praying for us as a church over these next eight weeks together. That when you look at something like this, you can say before anything else, I know the answer. I'm in Christ. And that defines me. And that changes the way that I live. And that directs all of my hope and all of my prayers and all of my wishes as I live for Him, as I recognize what He's done for me Jesus' death and life and how that changes mine. But for the rest of us, the rest of you, maybe you're here today and you would say, you know I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, then what's this for you? What identifies your life? And, and how much hope can you put in something like that? Hey, here's the power of the gospel today, the good news for your life. If you turn your heart to Jesus, he'll respond. He's died for you. And he'll forgive your sins and give you new life. And you can identify yourself with Jesus and the body of Christ too. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that uh, before anything else, we would see and discover and know the identity, the power that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your gift of your son. Your plan to redeem and to forgive and to change this world, to bring hope to this world and uh, through us and by the power of Jesus living in us. Lord, you know every life here today. You know every Christian here today that is struggling or discouraged or frustrated or hopeless or hopeful right now, Lord. God, would you use even today in the power of your word to remind us of who we are in Christ first and change our lives because of it change our homes and our campuses and our schools and our neighborhoods and this community through the power of Jesus living in us and through us and Father I want to pray for those that are here today that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and and, uh, if I could just for a moment if I could speak to you if that's you and you really sense and believe that the Lord is doing something in your life today and you want to invite him in just do it just pray something like Lord Jesus come in come into my life today. I want to be in Christ. Lord, forgive me, Lord. Father, I pray that you would respond. Uh, We know that you'll respond to any prayer, to any cry here today. And uh, we just pray that you keep changing lives and changing lives through this church, the power of your message. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.